Here we go. Hey there, folks. This is your host, Cameron Ivey of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Privacy Please Unplugged Edition. Cameron Ivey here, hanging out with Gabe Gung, Gabe Gums, and can't even speak today. Uh, we got a special guest hanging out with us as well, Mr. Jeff Jokish. Jeff, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, gentlemen. Glad to be here today. I was just telling you Appreciate both how it. extremely happy I am to have Jeff on the show today. It is a wel- <laughs> For me, it is a welcome surprise, largely because I wasn't paying attention when, when my co-host told me explicitly that it was Jeff. I was like, ah, Jeff's here. This is awesome. So I logged in and I was like, <laughs> and it's nice to do an unplug with a guest. So what's different? What, what makes it an unplug but still having a guest? Well, you know, normally we would we probably walk our way in a slightly more structured manner through um, – you know, a topic or two or three um, that's kind of focused specifically on something that the guest brings to the table. But today, you know, we're going to we're just going to have our unplugged conversation. Um, and we had a topic kind of queued up already. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that topic in particular was something that the salty suit say I mentioned. How many weeks ago did we release our 2023 predictions? It hasn't been that long. And it's not. No, it's, it's not yeah. often. Yeah. Weeks. I don't usually go back and check the accuracy of those predictions until like the following year. And in fact, sometimes not to like a couple years later, (laughs) Cameron and I did, but this, this prediction in particular came to light a little faster, maybe than even I was genuinely expecting, which I shouldn't be that surprised by because it means all it really means is again, my predictions are a little more than just astute observations at best. Really. I'm just, I'm I'm just kind of sharing with people what, what, what feels like the obvious for me. Um, but this prediction was, was, and I predicted, you should go back and pull the quote, but I predicted that chat GPT, and everyone's, everyone's heard a lot about chat GPT lately, so everyone's probably thinking, oh, sure, chat GPT, whatever you predicted there, we already saw it coming. Well, maybe. But I predicted that it would change the way the security industry operates. Specifically, I predicted that we would see an emergence of tool sets that integrated chat GBT for the purpose of using very, very, very real natural language to help look at data. Can I tell you both something before I, I close my trap? The first real chat GPT security news that launched this year was actually that the bad guys were using chat GPT to write phishing emails. And I was like, Ooh, Sutsay is so close, but not close enough. And then, and then I saw the announcement <laughs> Right. I saw the announcement from Orca Security. Uh, no shameless plugging. I know nothing of them. We have no connections to them, but I no reason to veil who they are for the purpose of this conversation. Orca Security, they're a cybersecurity company, um, and they uh, they are in the the vulnerability the vulnerability um, kind of assessment and remediation um, business. I don't know much about them other than, than kind of what I've read on the surface. So know that, folks. But they announced an integration with ChatGPT to do exactly what what Kevin and I talked about, analyze the log files, right? Like analyze log files and do things like, tell me 
how many people logged, like how many authentication failures they were yesterday from North America, right? Like th- that kind of, of querying of, of, uh, of security generated alert data and event data that we are used to seeing today um, using things like, you know, Splunk queries or, or I think there are some NLP query languages out there too in the, in the number of SIM products, right? I'm certain, I'm certain there's no shortage of NLP search solutions, but the chat GPT changes it. It makes it conversational. It's not just NLP. It makes it conversational. It brings that larger kind of prompt engineering approach to InfoSec, which I'll go ahead and coin the term now, right? Like it's it's uh, it's it prompt security operations, right? Like that's that's kind of the mm-hmm. thing it is. It is being able to prompt the system for that information. But I want some feedback from you folks. So, like, what, what do you think? Like, it was inevitable, Gabe. Your prediction was was like. Duh. Like if you predicted that three weeks ago and Orca announced it today, that clearly means that they had already been developing it or they got one hell of a development team. And those bad boys got an MVP up pretty fast. <laughs> My money's on either one of those things being true. Though. Uh, I think, I think you're pretty prescient, uh, Gabe. Um, but this stuff is moving really, really fast. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think it, it's probably an oversimplification to, to look at it this way, but, but one of the things that I'm sort of seeing is it's really interesting to to look at these large language models and think about it. Um, a lot of people look at Chad GPT and they think of it as sort of like one sort of like big blob of functionality, but it's really separate, right? They have these large language models that sort of figure out how we talk and ask questions, right? And then service stuff back. But when they service those things back, that can be linked to different data sets, right? Might be linked mm-hmm. to um, a search engine, might be linked to a proprietary data set, like the stuff that Orca Security is linking it to, right? Might be linked to your corporate network, right? Might be linked to anything. Um and this is, I think, a little bit what is making all of this new innovation happen. Uh, if you think back to like 10 years ago when IBM Watson, right, sort of arrived on the scene and it was starting to, to make headlines and be able to a- answer Jeopardy questions, it was doing really cool stuff too. But you had to like load all of this information, right, and then crunch it for weeks and weeks on end, right? And, and so it had this big corpus, right? But that's all it knew, right? And that was it, right? And now they've sort of, I think, separated the language understanding from the data. And it can sort of do all that sh- stuff on the fly, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I I know enough about, um, about this space to sort of understand this, but, but maybe I'm oversimplifying a little bit, right? It does remind me, we have a close friend of the show who uh, we were actually just talking about him in the abstract because there's a, a podcast launching with, with him. Um, generative AI is the, is the larger field that you're kind of alluding to there, Jeff. Um, we should have him on the show to talk a, a quite a bit about generative AI and, and maybe its security implications. Um, that's a great topic. I, too, can only speak kind of on the peripheral of, of, you know, things like generative AI, largely because I am no data scientist, certainly not by trade, um, although I hang out with a few of them and, and I'm very close friends with with, uh, with not less than one. So, like, we talk about these things a lot. 
Um, but I don't want to misrepresent any of that information. But what you suggested, the, the way you broke it down is exactly how I understand it too. That separation of the of, of the, the, the functions um, really brings its power out. Right. What say you, Cameron? Uh, I mean, honestly, you know, I did that uh, that article that you shared to me. Um, I did it at a blogcast uh, for last week, and um, even in that blogcast, I mentioned that I wanted to dive further into this because. One of the most fascinating things about this, and Jeff, you kind of hit on it, like where it's very, like the chat bot thing is is kind of simplistic in a way that it's so simplistic that people that don't even know how to write code can write code using it and a malicious code, and that to me was like that's that's crazy. And then I, I, my question to to you guys was when it comes to AI type of uh, technology, I mean it's possible that it obviously can be powerful enough to have its own mind and you don't, it's not really, uh, what's the word? It, it, it can be very, um, unpredictable. I don't know if it's, if it's dangerous in the sense of being a chat bot, wherever that lies in the infrastructure. But I mean that there's potential of that kind of taking a mind of its own, doing its own thing in your, in, in, like in your network or your infrastructure, right? Is there a possibility of, of that kind of, you know, technology taking over and doing its own thing? I, I think we're, we're still way far off from that. Um, I mean, I don't think it really has a mind of its own. If you look at, if you look at generative uh, art, um, you know, the text to, to text mm -hmm. to image stuff, it is like spectacular. Um, yeah. It, it's gone sort of from zero to, to, you know, 200 miles an hour in, in like the last seven, seven years, five years, something like that. Um, but it, it, it's, it's really just amazing. But what it's doing is I think different than what a lot of people understand. You know, it's, it's taking images and sort of like destroying them and mixing them together, all the bits, and then pulling them back out. Um, and it does the same thing with this, with, with text, right? Um, but it doesn't really understand what those text pieces are, right? It puts, it puts all of this stuff in what's called sort of like latent space, and it understands sort of different connections between words and, and phrases mm -hmm. uh, and image parts, but it doesn't really understand the whole thing. Right. It doesn't, I don't think it understands meaning in the same way we understand meaning. That's a good point. But it, I guess, I guess it's, it basically uh, almost reroutes to the most intelligent way or answer, basically. It, yeah. Without knowing the meaning of it. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, like Grammarly, you guys ever used Grammarly to right. correct your grammar, right? I mean, it mm -hmm. understands a sentence structure but it doesn't know what that sentence actually means. That's a good right? point. And, and so I think by the way, no paragraphs and paragraphs of text, it doesn't know, it still doesn't, it, it can write a paper, I guess, you know, it eventually, right. And it can compare that to other things that it has, but it still doesn't actually have any actual knowledge. Right. I mean, yeah. it's not becoming, it's not becoming alive yet. Right. But, but I do think, you know, the, the bigger picture of, of what you're talking about, it, it does have like huge implications. Like, I don't know if you saw that Microsoft is now uh, Gabe, Gabe talked earlier before we started that Microsoft is investing in open AI. 
right? The guys that developed mm-hmm. ChatGPT. And, and they're investing in a huge way. I think, I don't know, I thought I heard they had like a 50% stake in the company now or something like Ten, that. Wow. $10 billion is the rumor of how much more they're putting in. $10 billion with a B. Yeah, whatever that percentage is, I mean, they're obviously betting a lot on this. Um, but if you think about it, right, I think it's a pretty good bet because I think Google's search business is vulnerable. Maybe not like immediately vulnerable, but long term, it's vulnerable, right? The environment changes. And think about this, right? If what do you take Bing, their search, you know, Microsoft search, right? If you were to if you were to enhance that with chat, right? Make it so that it was all natural language, right? And did it in really in a phenomenal way. Would people start using Bing? Now, you may, I mean, maybe that sounds a little bit far-fetched, right? But think about this, right? As we move into the future, right, a lot of the things that we want to do, a lot of the things that chat GPT is enabling are tasks that we want to do, whether that's write a letter, create a contract, do some research, generate a data set, write some code. And these things are search centric, but not just search, right? Essentially what we're doing is we're creating agents, right? And those Mm -hmm. agents have some search components to them, but they're not just search. And so it's actually going beyond Google's core business. Google has potentially a big role to play there, right? But if other people can wrap things around search better than Google does, Google's in trouble. That's a good point. I, 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 I think the bet is not just a big one and an important one, but I was mentioning also before the show, you know, Microsoft is the world's largest security company now, full stop. Like if you look at Orca's announcement, like that sounds awesome. And there's no reason to think that Microsoft, the team at, at uh, Azure Sentinel that make their SIM hasn't already thought of this, right? Like, again, for, for the suit, say, as uh, clairvoyance for all, for all of it, it really is just a lot of, ah, uh, yeah, that's, that's the path I would beat down, right? Like, with all of that data in front of you, right? Like, and we're all looking at the same data, a lot of people are going to come to those similar conclusions. <clears throat> the largest security company with the largest investment in uh, this type of generative AI, I think it is inevitable, again, that we do see we will 100% see those two things naturally coming together. And again, that announcement from Orca really highlights in the real world, you know, a use case um, right there on the table. I am, if nothing else, a cynic, but, you know, Microsoft also recently announced that they're bundling that same SIM product with one of their other, like, it's 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 a tried and true strategy by Microsoft, right? Like, you bundle the not-so-great product with the great product, and there you go. So, Organizations that are already purchasing some of their other security systems will now get Azure Sentinel, right? Like that SIM, zero cost. Like So in a world where more people will just naturally have that because they're going to inherit it, and in a world where Microsoft is investing that kind of money, I mean, I think we'll see it. We're going to see – we will see ChatGBT show up in more security products, um, certainly a lot sooner, right? Yeah. I mean, this- I think the the ability for chat GPT to do things that people don't really even understand yet. I mean, people think it can 
I don't know what people think it can do. I mean, Cameron, what's your impression of what Chad GPT can do now? My impression, when I started reading the article, I thought about, um, I don't know if you guys have ever, I mean, just like any website or if you've gone online to sh- like look at a car, you always have those assistants that pop up and you have those chat windows. I, that's that's the first thing I thought of. Um, but I, I think those have been around for many years. And I think this is a more enhanced version of that, I would believe. Yeah, those are sort of like neural networks, right, that have been sort of built around being able to sort of drive you through specific pathways right like you say one thing it, it takes you it'll it'll have an answer for it kind of thing yeah, yeah yeah uh and this is this is more free form right um and it's really it's supposed to be more conversational yeah it's like completely conversational um, right. it's figuring out what you want and then it's then it's pulling stuff essentially out of thin air i mean mm-hmm. out of data right but it's it's uh synthesizing that information as you go right um, I actually went to uh, a search engine called you.com today. Um, it actually has chat GPT, uh, a version of it integrated into it right now. It's a search engine and you can, you can search with chat and it returns answers and text. And I asked it like uh, which data brokers have had data breaches and it listed about 12 of them and gave me a paragraph answer for which data brokers have had data breaches. And it was awesome. And synthesized that information from like three different articles. That's amazing. I was, that, that reminds me of the, have have you seen the, the company, I forget what the companies are called, but the company that you can literally, um, if you need someone to write you an essay or a paper, you can do it uh, AI generated, which is, that's scary. Um, because then, then you think about then those there comes in the privacy um, implications, like just like Grammarly, where you mentioned before, Grammarly uh, stores all of that data, everything that you type. They they store all of that. Yeah. Um, so there's there's privacy concerns there, in my opinion, but um, I'm not sure what their privacy policy is, and um, I would imagine they have something pretty strong. I would hope. Well, there are a lot of uh, privacy issues, right? I'm less concerned with Grammarly only because they charge you so much. I think they charge like 120 bucks a year. So hopefully they're, they're, they're using that to fund their development rather than our PII. Um, yeah. But point. <laughs> you, know, um, you, you never know for sure. Yeah. Right? Um, but you know, there's, 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 I, I, w- I was in a, a workshop with uh, MIT doing computational linguistics just this earlier this week and they had a, a guy from OpenAI who was actually showing us some some other interesting things. And, and one of the things that they did, is he didn't have uh, Chad GPT write a paper, but he, he said, let's take an issue, something like, I don't know, abortion rights or housing in California or, or any, any kind of sort of controversial issue. He said, okay, give me all the pros to this issue and give me all the, the cons to this issue. And so Chad GPT would throw up like a bunch of different pros, a bunch of different cons, right? And then he would say, okay, so then, uh, flesh out each of the pros, flesh out each of the cons. And it would like, you know, give all this information, right? And then he would have it then, uh, debate. 
each of those fleshed out pros and fleshed out cons, right? Mm -hmm. And so you could essentially research the paper, not write the paper, but research the paper in incredible depth using ChatGPT. Whoa, it's impressive. So think about it as a research tool, not writing the paper per se, right? But damn, it's way better than a search engine for research. I think what you just described wow. is it's just another way to describe the exact same security application of it, but a research tool, right? Like keep peeling back the layers of this onion until we can find. Right. Before, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, it begs so you can the apply that to so many different things. I, I, I saw another, uh, uh, an application, a guy was showing chat GPT and how it connects into Excel and he was having it write Excel formulas for him. Right. But not just, generic Excel formulas, you're saying, if I have this data in this cell and this data in this range, write the exact formula for me That's to do this. I can't tell you how many Excel uh, formulas I've, <laughs> I've, I've lost my mind writing. <laughs> yeah, right? And it was, it was great. And then he, even, he did something that surprised the heck out of me. He said, okay, now I need some data. So give me all the states and and their populations and their area mass or something like that and put it in a csv formula a csv format and it actually generated data for him with graphs and stuff or just no no just graphs numbers. right but it actually generated a data set so wow. chat gpt is actually creating data now think about this right could it do that with other things like so say i've got a whole bunch of uh, IP addresses, right? Could I tell it to go find out who's connected to these IP addresses? Yep. Or things like that? Because it's just numbers. Yeah, right? So th th That's my privacy implication question. Does it, again, researching things, does it become, does it change the types of connections you can make in data sets to de-identify people? It feels like there's a de-identification thread here. That is um, fairly real. We've talked about the identification attacks moons ago at this point. I don't think we've really gotten to it. Um, and we certainly know there's a lot of, of technology out there in the privacy world to to attempt to, you know, anonymize, pseudonymize, and, and otherwise create fake data sets and so forth. We've, we've had multiple people on in this topic, you know, our friends at, at Tonic and uh, – I could, I could drop a few more names, go back through our show history. They're all there. Is there a real threat there, Jeff, though? Is there, is there a real privacy threat from this kind of technology? You know, I'm not sure, but I can't imagine that there's not. Mm -hmm. I have to see it. I have to see it fleshed out, but I think it's just going to make, I think it's going to make every job easier including the jobs of criminals and people that want to you know, de-identify data. Um, I, mean, I think it's easy enough to de-identify data in big data sets, but it's just going to make that job easier for the people that know what they're doing. Um, when, you, when you step back to, to, to criminals and generating code, I think it's still going to, to be easier for people that know how to write viruses and, and, and malware and things like that to use this to enhance what they do. But it will make it easy, I mean, not easy, it will make it easier for people that don't even know what they're doing to generate malware. You know, I, th I think that's going to happen. 
Yeah, especially with something like this, that uh, with, with Chat GPT it being so glitchy right now, yeah, I think it it's prone to easier for mistakes and easier to get into. Um, I think there's always going to be that way for someone to get into any kind of. I've I've seen I've seen guys already writing uh, having Chat GPT write scraper code. So like uh, you know go to. Uh, Go to Amazon and scrape this information out of Amazon for me, and just like wow. telling it to do X, Y, and Z, and then scrape it out. But this guy was like a professional scraper, and he knew how to ask the questions mm. of ChatGPT. But knowing what he knew, he could have it write the code for him in beautiful soup in Python. That could save time. That's. Now that does that become something where people will actually start losing their jobs because of this? If it becomes that that I, consistent, I saw, I saw an article by the Atlantic and something else already, kind of lamenting that a bunch of jobs will be impacted, including you know, good old fashioned white collar jobs. I'll be honest with you, that just headlines like that, especially when they point to like mid, you know, white collar jobs will be. Uh, <laughs> it just feels like it just feels like just complete enrage bait, right? Like it's just clickbaity yeah. enrage bait shit. Um, right. From my perspective, it it should have the opposite effect. All of those entry level infosec jobs that can't get filled should immediately go away, and now be filled by human beings, not replaced with ChatGPT. But to Jeff's point, and like this use case that we've been harping on, the ability for someone with little to no initial industry experience, but say research experience someone who knows how to research a topic or a data can simply use this new tool set to, to perform a security function. Yeah. Anything I expect to see IT and security jobs actually be filled and even more openings. I will definitely tell you the following. It will create new technologies and new security technology. Like it'll create just new technology in general, which by itself will almost guarantee create new jobs, different jobs. But new ones. So will the existing ones be be affected? I think that should be the real question. Will the existing mm. ones be affected versus yeah. will the number of them like, you know, I think the answer is maybe, but almost guaranteed. I can't imagine there isn't a net positive gain. That's and if anyone yeah. is, 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 is suspect of my answer, I point you to only to capitalism. And, and I, I, I challenge you to show me a scenario where adding more more bodies to, to the, the, the the machine that is capitalism um, isn't always what is what, what what capitalism has required. Whether or not the how much people make, <laughs> right? Like everyone's asking all the wrong questions. Right? It's not a zero sum. Well, uh, jobs will go away. Well, what if what if it just adds a ten million new jobs, but now everyone makes less? Right? Like I I think we should be on the lookout for that kind of nonsense. Do you think? Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that, Gabe. Um, I think it's it's uh, it's creative destruction. It probably gets rid of some jobs, but it certainly creates more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my my feeling on the whole the whole whether it reduces wages is that's more of a that's more of a governmental issue on whether we have the right tax policy and and other incentive structures around. That's not really. You know, the job market per se, but uh, that, that's my opinion. But in terms of whether it's actually going to create jobs, I mean, if you if you just look at the the image AI stuff, which is maybe slightly, very slightly more mature, um, I mean, it's already creating jobs for people doing prompt engineering, right? I mean, it, 
I don't know that it's losing artists any job yet. They're, they're certainly, some of them are crying, but it's creating a lot of jobs for people really to know how to create a lot of these prompts. Right? I see a lot of people crying on their behalf. A lot of the <laughs> I've seen and, yeah. and or have spoken to, like they're either poking complete fun at it or they're just not that worried, right? They're like, eh, got it. Sure. Great. There's a yeah. whole lot of outrage on their behalf. They're like, oh, no. Yeah, some of these artists, I don't know if you realize the, a lot of these artists that are, that are playing with it are realizing they can use it to enhance their art. They can mm. prototype, throw the prototype in, you know, have it enhance that. And then they enhance the result and they just use it as a rapid prototyping tool. It's, yeah. It can be amazing for that. So, I mean, it's like every, it's everything. It's a tool, right? You can use it or not use it. Um, now, I have seen a lot of artists be worried that their work will be used as inputs. They're right. not worried that others will create newer, better outputs. That's just called competing with other artists. Right. Right. Like, I don't know of many people that, that do physical medium art that, that bitch about digital artists. Like, oh, no, I can't paint pictures anymore because Jeff's got a tablet and he draws on it. I'm like, no. <laughs> right. There's right. Plenty of people still interested in your painting. But – those AI models using your painting as input to train their models such that, say, you may have a unique style. Let's just use a, a, a big, broad example everyone can understand. Let's say you are Picasso. Because yeah. it already uses his style, right? Like, And so now you can ask one of those those generative AI ones to, to give you a Picasso-style painting, and it will literally give you a Picasso-style Using your input as design material is where I've seen artists genuinely be a little worried. They're like, eh. You don't have my permission to take my style and create new output styles from it. You can create anything you want, any way you want. You just don't have that permission, which I think is fair. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you that on that. There, there's two things that I would posit there. One is I think that artists should be able to opt out of having their art as part of a corpus to train models. They should have some kind of a DMCA opt-out. They could say, pull my art out of this model and retrain it without it. Mm. Um, that should be a given. Um, I don't think that they probably should be pulling their art out of those models, but but I, I think they should have the option. The second thing is, and I think this is going to evolve, maybe it's going to take a long time, but I think there should be some way to give attribution so that if a if the AI is generating um, you know, this art and using, I mean, using is a sort of really amorphous thing, right? So if, if, if I say generate a picture of Mike Tyson in the style of Leonardo da Vinci, right. And it pops out an image, right. What images did it use in its brain to synthesize that thing that it just popped out? Right. Can it say that it used, uh, you know, these 50 different images and this style from Da Vinci and did it use like these five images from Da Vinci and these five images of, of Tyson that it grabbed from, from different potential artists around and somehow put that in the, you know, uh, you know, the source material that comes with the image it generated. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? I mean, I think it probably, they probably could create a model that did that, but I think they probably don't do that because at that point people would complain more, right? That, mm -hmm. Hey, you're using my image to generate this stuff. Mm -hmm. There is 
I think a couple of things that can happen today to solve that issue, and it is more a matter of willingness than it certainly is about um, ability. The first one is to your point about being able to say um, attribution. We can already do that. We can already do that in the way of metadata tags in um, AI-generated um, anything. Um, but a good example of that is AI-generated um, facial images, right? Like there are there are watermarks that are already embedded in there that you can't see and I can't see, but they are embedded in there such that the major AI training models that are currently scraping the web will ignore those images anytime it sees those watermarks. So what are they doing there? They're saying, I don't want to use this as input. I already know what this is. They're saying, I want to go steal your stuff as input, right? Like, I so, yeah, so your question of like, so can I opt in or out? Well, the answer is there is, and I was looking for it here really quickly, but I can't find it. I'll post it in the show notes. Um, there's a, there's an artist and, and, uh, there's an artist and a technologist that created a small program that will do exactly that. It will input into your images the same watermark that will force those AI models to skip over you. That's now, of interesting. Course, of course, this is an arms race, right? Like, ah, oh, yeah. skipped over that mm -hmm. watermark is a new watermark, right? Like, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the thing is, like, it exists today. Like, that's a thing. So you can already watermark it so that like an attribution is given. It's like, I know where I got it from. And you can also even opt yourself out. Like it's, it's a fake opt out right now. Like now you're, you're just tricking those guys and saying, like, ah, I put that same watermark in now. Don't upload my, you know, don't, don't scrape my stuff. I so we're talking about images, right? But the same thing could apply to text, right? So if it's generating texts, you know, should these articles that we're pulling and, you know, generating text, if I, if I say, give me the, you know, uh, the 10 worst data brokers and, and you know, the breaches that happened and it generates the five paragraphs. Should it tell me where it got that stuff from? I think you should be able to ask it. <clears throat> yeah. I would, I would want to know before I use that data set, where the data set came from. And I'm certain that my, my readers might want to, um, I'm usually, I'm kind of a stickler for that kind of nonsense. And so I tend to both make sure I put in attribution and source and, but I also check my sources, sources normally too, right? Like I at least look to see like where they get that information. From. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good point, right? I mean, so if we're going to use this stuff in the future and we're assuming that it's factual, how do we know that it's, it's good data if we don't know what the source is? Yeah. Hmm. How do we know if it's good data if we don't know what the source is? Especially if they're going to use it as a search engine result. Yeah. But we don't know what the source is to that right now, too, right? Like, all we know is it scrapes everything. It scrapes everything. Hence the reason why a lot of a lot of academics get into the whole, is Wiki a good source or not? And Wiki is a perfectly good source as long as you cite your source's source. Like, where did Wiki source that information from? Like, you've got you've to be able to cite that source of the source. Um, but there's a profit motive there, though, which is why I don't think we'll actually see it happen. The profit motive... Um, is the same reason why those those mo those models are jumping over their own images but scraping up everyone else's. They could have otherwise just been very myopic and narrow in it, or they could have just went out and asked a bunch of people in the first place. Wow. But in their defense, it's public, it's free on the internet, so eh, I'll go scrape it. I would have done that too. It's it's there. Right. I'll scrape it. Well, you know, something just popped up in my head. So what do we do if these generated answers from chat GPT start getting influenced by marketers. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, right now, right, you know, Google does all kinds of stuff to to supposedly make sure that doesn't happen. Of course, now they've got all kinds of ads in front of their, you know, their answers, right? But what happens if those answers start getting influenced by marketers or spammers or disinformation or or any of those things? How do we keep those things out of those answers? How do we know they're not there already if, if they're starting to become generated? If, if we don't get sources. I don't think we do. I have a, um, I like that, that question, but I have a fun fact and a question to put on top of that, Jeff. So over the last five years, 90% of all AI startups from Silicon Valley were acquired by leading tech companies, which goes back to something like wow. Microsoft. That's pretty, um, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. So my question to that is, do you, do you guys think that can generate, can generative AI power a new generation of tech giants? Do you think that that could start a new wave of people leaving those big tech companies and starting their own and, and going from there? Yeah, I think we'd naturally see that continue to happen, which is to say a lot of startups today, um, tend to be founded by people that have been part of other mm-hmm. large technology companies and startups, not generally speaking as a rule of thumb, but there's, they're well represented in that, in that, um, in that group. Yeah. But I think the short answer to your question is, yeah, yes, definitely. A lot of new ideas will come from all of this. New ideas, new jobs, just like you said. So I think that goes along with creating new jobs. That's part of it, which is kind of neat. I don't. I don't know the 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 Chat GPT space as well as I know the Image AI space. But while you know Dali has done pretty amazing, and that's the the product of uh, OpenAI that Microsoft mm-hmm. is investing in, um, there are significant competitors to them, like Stable Diffusion, which is open source, right, um, and several other uh, competitors like Midjourney, which is freaking amazing. And mm-hmm. so you know they're you know. Um, and there are several others. Uh, so there is great competition in the, the image AI space. And um, uh, I assume that's probably going to be the same thing with text. So even though, you know, Microsoft's biting off the, you know, the, the largest one, largest player, there are going to be a lot of other players. Mm-hmm. There's no shortage of them now. They're in the, you mentioned Dolly, for example, but in the image space, there's, there are a lot of current players. I think right. I personally play with about six of them myself. Right. Yeah. And what we what we see, what we have seen in the past, over the past like five or six years, is that every single year or three months or six months, the research uh, leapfrogs each other on who's got the best tech in, in that space. Uh, the, everybody comes up with a new paper, new paper, new paper, and you know they just keep leapfrogging on who's got the better tech. So. Mm-hmm. You know, open AI may be better at the moment, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be sure that that's going to stay the way, stay that way. Right. It's pretty fascinating. It does, not hurt, it does not hurt to have Microsoft behind you though. Yeah. Well, money certainly helps, right? And, <laughs> you know. Yes, 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 yes. When you can lock up stuff with patents, I mean, that actually is the worst thing for innovation, you know, in, in tech, right? Always is. Always is. But it gives you, I mean, obviously you do that because 
you will hold the upper hand, at least for right. your creation. <clears throat> so, by the way, I found I found the person and the uh, and the thing that I was mentioning. So, it is called No AI. It is a watermark generator. Um, we'll post it in the show show notes, and it does exactly what what I mentioned too, right? So. Uh, it uses a Python library to, to embed an invisible watermark on generative I- images, right? Since it's inside that image, not on the image, it's not visible to the human eye. The tool that they created, uh, and I'll post the GitHub link to it, will allow you to do the same. And it is called No AI is the name of the tool. So if you were to go to, to GitHub, you'd actually see that file. It's made by um, uh, Edit Bali, uh, B-A-L-L-A-I. Make sure I give credit where credit is due there. Um, yeah, there it is. Hmm. That's pretty neat. Um, getting close to the top of the hour. You guys have anything else on these topics? No, I think we're, I think we're good. No, no, it was um, it's a good conversation, Jeff. It was good to have you on the show. Uh, appreciate you coming on and just doing a little chat about uh, this topic in particular. Um, we'll yeah, I think people are going to like this this year. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a really interesting topic that it just can go so many different places. It, it really yeah. intrigues me this this idea of of agents being able to act for us, go out and do searches, but but do so many other things. You know, do comp, uh, you know, um, do tasks for us that involve search. You know, like go out and assemble a data set for me. Go out and generate code. Go out and you know, you know, uh, find news articles for me, but but filter them in a certain way. Now, I think we're going to have personal agents that do things for us, and search is going to be a primary element of that, but only part of that particular task. Yeah. And we'll see if Google, you know, owns these privacy agents, or if other people, you know, essentially can can topple Google and and own search as we move into the future well for good points and for forgive me if i sound a little um ignorant here but that's the point of me being here i'm the ignorant one um <laughs> what's the difference between what we're seeing now with something like chat, uh, chat gpt and the image um besides the image and the text and and something like alexa or uh, siri I mean, aren't those some type of form of AI? But these are, are we just, um, are those like kind of minimal AI that don't really do much besides just knowing the answer kind of thing? I think that's a good question. Uh, They are, they're like personal assistants, um, but they're limited and they don't have the large language models built into them. Um, I think you can expect to see that, uh, Siri and Alexa and you know Google will all have Chat GPT like interfaces built into them soon. Mm. Right now, the the problem with that is all of those organizations are worried about their brand, right? And so, if you were to integrate Chat GPT into Alexa, right, and and ask Alexa something, and it generated a response, and Alexa said, uh, uh, you know, something. Uh, that that Amazon didn't approve of, right? They could take a lot of PR hit, you know, a bad PR hit. Mm. 
And that's what they don't want, right? That's why right now, uh, if you ask Alexa questions, it'll answer some things, but it won't answer other things. That makes right? sense. Same way with Siri. And so that's the problem with them just dropping chat GPT into those personal assistants right now. Because they're so inconsistent right now and, and very um, glitchy. Right. That makes sense. Right. right. They, they could vastly improve it, but they're worried about brand reputation. Interesting. Oh man. There's so, like you said, there's so many legs to this. I mean, we're talking spiders, people, just too many legs, too many spiders, and it can go in so many different ways. Um, anyways, Jeff, thanks for coming on, man. Pleasure always. Jeff. Uh, yeah. It was great. You, Cameron, Gabe, take care of yourselves. Right on. You too. Be well. All right. Thanks, guys. Out. Hey, you guys made it all the way to the end. Thanks for listening. Again, if this is your first time, we really appreciate the support and everyone that's always been around since the beginning. We love you guys. Keep supporting Privacy, please. And we'll always have new content each and every week. Cameron Ivy, over and out.